Then the king said to his servants, Tie him up hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew chapter 22, verses 13 and 14. invitation, not something that we can readily relate to in this day and age. We have events scheduled not only for the day, but sometimes for the week and even for the year. Events packed so tightly that it seems that we have very little time for anything other than events that are pressing in on our lives. But the parables that we'll consider today in part nine of Messiah and the Parable have to do with two parables, one found in Matthew 22 and one found in Luke 14. One is the invitation of a king, the other an invitation of a wealthy man. So as we consider these today, we have to remember that Messiah is telling these parables in order to bring us to response. He is desiring to elicit a response from us. What will we do with this urgent invitation, this urgent call to attend a feast, a feast that has been prepared, a feast that is ready? Will we find ourselves making excuses or will we be dressed and ready to attend? That is the parable that is before us, an urgent invitation. As we considered last week, we had the parable of the two debtors. And within the greater context, we found this sinful woman who was ministering at the feet of Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. And when we, what we understand from that parable uh, that Messiah told of the two debtors and from the canon of Scripture itself is that the Lord is quick to forgive the repentant sinner. And who is more loving? That was the question that was put before Simon the Pharisee. Who was more loving, the one who had been forgiven little or the one forgiven much? And that's how we found this woman ministering at his feet. She had been forgiven much, and therefore she was loving much. So as we consider the parables before us today, the parables that are kind of generally labeled as the urgent invitation. As I said, one is in Matthew, one is in Luke. We'll we'll read Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14, but just reference Luke chapter 14, 15 through 24. They have the same subject matter, but Luke goes into a little bit more detail regarding excuses that those who have been invited will bring forward. So, we'll consider that when we get there. So, let's read. From Luke, or excuse me, from Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Yeshua, Jesus, answered and spoke to them, again in parables saying, and these are the Kohenim and the Pharisees, the, the priests and the Pharisees that are referenced in chapter 21 and verse 45. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who made a wedding feast for his son, He sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they wouldn't come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, Look, I've prepared my meal. 
My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But paying no attention, they went away, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest grabbed his servants, humiliated them, and killed them. Now the king became furious. Sending his troops, he destroyed those murderers and set fire to their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. So go into the highways and byways and invite everyone you find to the wedding feast. And those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look over the guests, he saw a man, a man there who wasn't dressed in wedding clothes. Friend, he said to him, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? But the man was silent. Then the king said to his servants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. As we consider the parable of the urgent invitation, these two parables, Matthew 22, 14 through four, uh, 22, 1 through 14, excuse me, and Luke 14, 15 through 24, they both have that common element of an urgent invitation. And we'll note that the circumstances, if you go and read Luke 14, the circumstances are slightly different, but the message that these two parables are conveying are the same. Matthew places this parable in the final week of Messiah's earthly ministry as he is in or around Jerusalem. So, the setting of the parable as recorded in Matthew is a marriage feast, a wedding feast arranged by a king for his son. And we'll consider that in just a moment. Luke's version, however, appears to have occurred as Yeshua, Jesus, is beginning his last journey. So, just prior, we might say, to what Matthew uh, sets the timetable as, his, his, his last journey to Jerusalem. So, it may be told in a, a village in the Galilee. We're just not quite certain. But Luke's version is not a wedding feast, but a banquet arranged by a wealthy man. So, as we read these two parables, if we pass through them too quickly and, 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 and leave, and, unless I read over the, the details will not correctly understand the message of the parables and what Messiah is urging us to. So, in Matthew 22 and verse 2 and Luke 14 and verse 17, servants of the king and servants of the wealthy man are sent out. That's an important idea when we consider these two parables, is that they send out servants. They send out servants to announce that everything has been made ready and the time of the feast is at hand. So, the servants go to those who were invited. But without a little bit of background here, we may not correctly understand what is being revealed. So, in ancient times and, and even up to the early part of the uh, last century, in some Middle Eastern cultures, when a great feast was being prepared, the host would send out invitations to all that he desired to attend all who he desired to attend. The first invitation explained the purpose of the event. And then the second invitation announced that the feast was ready. So, those 
who responded affirmatively. They said, yes, they will come. To the first announcement would receive the notification that the feast had been prepared. But if they had not indicated that they were planning to attend, they wouldn't receive the second invitation. William Thompson, the first Baron Calvin, who actually uh, is famous for determining the correct value of absolute zero, he happened to be a devout Christian, and he made an observation while he was in Lebanon in 1857. He wrote this in reflection, I noticed that the friend at whose house we dined last evening sent a servant to call us when dinner was ready. Is this custom generally observed? Not very strictly among the common people, nor in the cities where Western manners have greatly modified the Oriental, but in Lebanon, it, is, it still prevails. If a sheik or a mar invites, he always sends a servant to call you to the proper time. This servant often repeats the very, very formula in Luke 14 verse 17, come for the supper is ready. The fact that this custom is mainly confined to the wealthy and to the nobility is in strict agreement with the parable where the certain man who had made the great supper and bade many is supposed to be of this class. It is true now, as then, that to refuse a, that to refuse is a high insult to the maker of the feast. So the king and the wealthy man are insulted. They're insulted because those who they invited and those who agreed to come, the feast is prepared, but the invited guests who agreed to come disregard the feast that was prepared. They go and do elsewise. Now, in Luke's version, we find excuses for why this happens. Uh, we have three excuses presented in Luke. One bought a field. So, you know, these excuses to the ear of those hearing, they would know that these are absolutely foolish excuses, that there's, that the, the, that their um, lack of attendance to, or their failure to attend the feast was, was completely inexcusable. But here, the first one, he bought a field. Now, does anyone buy a property without first examining it carefully? Of course not. The second one bought oxen. Now, what farmer would buy oxen for plowing without first inspecting and testing the animals to make sure that they were fit for the use that he has in mind? Of course, that would be an absurdity to the hearers of this parable. And the final excuse is that the, that the one man married a wife. Now, of the three, this is the only excuse that is potentially true, but even the groom would have known that his wedding was at hand as the invite to the great feast would have happened within the day of the original invitation. So let's make it for instance. You want to create a, a, a great feast uh, for Monday evening. Your, your invitation would go out Sunday evening or Monday morning at the very latest, so people would have time to see to their own business before they in fact attended this feast. So in Matthew's version, no excuses are offered. They're just uh, told that one went off to the farm, went off to his business, but there's no direct excuses. And the final invitation is ignored as one goes into the field, one goes to his business, and still others, they seized, they insulted. And that was what I was trying to point out is that the final invitation was ignored by 
this third group who seized, insulted, and killed the servants who were sent to announce that the feast was prepared and ready. The announcement had come. The wedding feast was prepared. But those who were announcing were seized, insulted, and killed. So in response to this, of course, the king sends his soldiers, destroys the murderers, kills the murderers, sets the city on fire. There's judgment that is poured out for the refusal to attend the wedding feast of his son. So there is, uh, Messiah is teaching, only one correct response to the call. Come, for the supper is ready. And that is, of course, to go. Lay aside all of the worthless excuses, everything that we might set on our calendar and say, this is set in stone, I cannot go. No, Messiah is teaching us that the proper response is to go. So how do the king and the wealthy wealthy man respond to these rejections? Well, the king says, the wedding feast indeed is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the street corners And as many as you find, invite to the wedding feast. Both the wicked and the good came, and the house is filled. Anyone they could find. The wealthy man, he says, hurry out into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Go out into the street corners and hedges and compel them to come in so that my house is filled. So those who had been invited those who believe that they had, um, that they could really exclude themselves from the feast, those who believe that they were perhaps too good, they didn't need to attend this, they were too good for this. Those who were considered less than, those who were considered beneath them, those who were initially not invited, were brought in to fill their place because the invitation was rejected. So both of these parables, as I mentioned previously, were told as a correction to the Pharisees, the scribes, the Kohanim, the priests, who considered themselves above the poor, above the lame, above the blind. And we do find that that was an attitude not only among certain Pharisees and scribes and and priests, because these types of conditions were seen as being connected to ritual impurity. The Essenes, another prominent group of the first century, in their rule for the congregation, um, excluded those who were maimed, those who were blind, those who were lame, those who had any defect. They were excluded. They were not allowed. They were not permitted to join the congregation because, of course, the Essenes saw themselves as the perfect, the sons of light, those who would be rescued when judgment would be poured out on Jerusalem. And that was a, a practice that was not normative for most people, and particularly through the centuries of, of Judaism, because it was an imperative to provide financial support. We find this in the Torah, for, to provide for those who are afflicted, to provide for those who are blind. Uh, to provide for those who are lame, and so on and so forth. Those who are facing struggle in life, we were to reach down and help out and give aid to. But attitudes of the heart certainly became uh, an impediment to this, to where we 
we would say they 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 clearly have issues they clearly are impure they clearly have sin they clearly have this so i'm not going to involve myself in that so the essenes formalize this these people are not permitted but many scholars have uh, concluded that the feasts of these two parables were intended to be inclusive as the amount of food prepared far exceeded the number of honored guests. So it's not until those who were specifically invited refused the final invitation that everyone who could possibly be brought in filled the house. There is a rabbinic parable that helps to underscore the meaning of these two parables. And this one is referred to as the tax collector's dinner for the needy. And we read this, but when Bar Ma'ayin, the village tax collector, died, the whole town took time off to mourn him. Now, what was the meritorious deed which Bar Ma'ayin, the village tax collector, had done? Nothing. He never did a meritorious deed in his life. But one time he made a banquet for the counselors of his town, but they did not come. He said, let the poor come and eat the food so that it does not go to waste. So we we have to recognize that all of us before the Lord are poor, are lame, are blind. All of us have uh, an uncleanness, the uncleanness of sin that would, according to all reckoning, all human reckoning, exclude us from the presence of God. And the Messiah is, is, is telling us in such beautiful way that the invitation has gone out to us and he expects us to be there. He wants us to be there. He's reminding us of the urgency of the invitation not to place anything else in the way of receiving and responding to it. So Yeshua was reminding the hearers of the parable that when the final invitation is announced, we have to drop everything that has occupied us, everything that is distracting us, everything that has identified us, all of the identifiers, everything that we think would exclude us, everything that we think would we're so preoccupied with that we can't possibly uh, devote the time to such a thing, all of those things has to be have to be laid aside and respond to the final invitation. So we must respond to God's call without excuse. And be grateful for what our Father in Heaven has prepared for us and for all those who will be brought in. Revelation 19 verse 9 says this, Blessed are those who have been called to the marriage supper of the Lamb, the marriage feast of the Lamb. We as disciples, as believers have been invited. We've accepted that final invitation to the marriage feast of the Lamb. But will we respond? Will we drop everything and follow him when he announces that the time has has come? Messiah is stressing that the time has come. The feast is prepared. So, but this isn't a Christianity versus Judaism argument. But rather, it's the urgent message of God's call. The great irony is that once we accept that initial invitation, we ourselves become the servants of his house. And those 
not only those who are tending to our own needs, um, but those who are going out and delivering this invitation. We become his laborers, we become his servants, we become his workers. Those who were tending to their own needs, who refused the invitation, they are not brought into that same position. And it's just so beautiful to see that when we accept the Lord really puts us to work. (laughs) And in that, we see that we have been accepted by him because he's placed us on his mission. Of course, we understand that to be the Great Commission. So, all of us who have responded to the Lord's call without excuse, let's be grateful for what he has done. So, the, the, the Lord desires to fill his house, to welcome everyone in attendance as family. Yet, the parable is not supportive of the theological position of greater grace or universal salvation. Because we read this in Matthew 22, 13, 14. And when the king came in to view the guests, he saw there a man who had not put on a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how do you come in here not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, throw him into the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. He entered in. He presumed to sit, but he was not dressed for the occasion. Of course, the wedding garments are the beautiful robes of righteousness. We see this pictured in Revelation 7 verse 9. The bridal attire, we might say, the robes of righteousness gleaming in white and perfect and beautiful. The righteousness of our Messiah imputed to us. Those who come in must be wearing Messiah. They must be, they must, as Paul says, put on Messiah. The pure robes of righteousness that we receive by faith in Christ. Without those garments, we can't attend the feast. We're thrown into the outer darkness. We're thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's the urgency of this call that we receive that we respond, that we respond immediately, that there is not a hesitation, that there is not an excuse offered, but rather that we hear the voice of the servant calling us that the the wedding feast has been prepared, come to the feast, knowing that we're already prepared to sit, that we are already adorned in proper attire. And the beautiful thing is that it's not for the elite who do not have time for him, but for those that would, from all outer appearances, seem as though they have nothing, nothing, nothing that the king would want, nothing that the king would, that would, he would invite in. But he makes sure that they are properly adorned. He makes sure that they are seated in a place that has been prepared for them. And they are allowed to partake and they're urged to partake. And this is the beauty. This is the message of the gospel. It's not by high birth, it's not by high position, it's not by great wealth, it's response to the call. It's a response to the urgency of the call, is what Messiah is speaking to us here. Dr. Brad Young explains this, those who rejected the invitation will not taste of the banquet. While many scholars have 
determined that the concluding verse is a redactional addition, it is a suitable end to the parable. The parable needs this ending to drive home the point. The time of the invitation is crucial. The matter affirms, for I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. The solemn warning is clear. While the great invitation is open to all, the invited guests stand in mortal danger of missing a never-to-be-repeated opportunity. And that is the heart of the parable, that we respond to this never-to-be-repeated opportunity, the marriage supper of the Lamb, to spend eternity with him in the sukkah, in the booth that he has prepared, in that bridal chamber that he has prepared. What of this earth has such esteem? What of this earth has such importance that we would miss so beautiful a moment in eternity? And that is the urgency. That is what Messiah expects us to respond to, that we would respond immediately, that we would respond in a, in a manner that is not placing him second. But again, it is laying aside all of our past allegiance, all of our past commitments, everything that we have committed ourselves to, even as noble and righteous as those things may be, that when he calls, we respond. And when it's ready, we are there. We can see the urgency building from parable to parable. We can see the, the warning. We can see quite clearly the beauty of what he is expressing to us. Not just the urgency of our response, but the urgency of his desire that we would be with him and that we would choose him above all else. So friends, I hope and pray that there was something in this today that has helped you with these parables. A little bit of the background, a little bit of the custom, a little bit of the history that helps to inform just what the urgent message is for us. So I hope and pray that you received something, and I thank you if you listened this far into the podcast for listening and being part of this uh, time together. And I hope and pray that you'll continue to listen and tune in. We'll continue with part 10 of Messiah and the Parable in the next podcast. And I hope and pray no matter where you are, you know that the Lord is with you and that he will never leave you nor forsake you. May the Lord bless and keep you in the mighty name of Messiah Yeshua. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Amen.